Well, turning your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 9 as we continue, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. And Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man, the Son of God, the Messiah and the Savior. He is the one that has come to the earth, that, or who came to the earth and died on the cross, rose again, paid for sin. He is the substitute and the sacrifice for mankind. We're at a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. He has been in the northern part of Israel around the Sea of Galilee. He has been showing that he's the Messiah. He's been showing that he's the Savior, really by two things, his words and his works, his message and his miracles. We saw several weeks ago that Jesus made a change. He told his men he was going to go to Jerusalem to fulfill the plan. The plan was to die and rise again to pay for the sins of the world. It says that he set his face toward Jerusalem. We're going to see that. In fact, it even says it in our passage today. He gave some details that he would go in there, he'd be handed over to the Romans, he'd be tried, he'd be put to death, and he would rise again from the dead after three days. The rest of the Gospel of Luke focuses on this plan, the plan to go to Jerusalem. We'll see his conflict with the religious leaders. We'll see his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. He indeed is the Messiah and the Savior. Now this morning as we look at the passage, there, as it says, he sets his face toward Jerusalem. Two issues stand out. I want you to see what they are. First of all, we're going to see conflict with the Samaritans, and we're going to raise some questions. Who are these people? Who are the Samaritans? What's going on? And the second thing is we're going to see his teaching concerning discipleship. There are going to be three men that there, and we're going to see the cost of being a disciple. It's pretty powerful. May we be challenged this morning as we study God's Word, as we look at this challenge to be disciples of Christ as we look at our passage this morning. Well, I want to begin with this question, and, and you know the answer to this. Listen, here's the question. Is salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, or is it by good works something that we can do? Now, we'd say, well, J.B., we all know the answer to that. We all think of Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Salvation is a gift. It is by faith in Jesus Christ. He is the Savior, and we receive the gift simply by faith. But there's confusion. There's confusion sometimes when the message of salvation is given. See, we know this, that all who believe have eternal life, and, and it's a gift, and it costs us absolutely nothing because Jesus is the Savior. But some people say, well, salvation is by faith, but, but really in order to be saved, you must serve Jesus Christ. You must commit your life to Him. You must turn away from your sins. You must come under the authority of Christ, and you must serve Him to be saved. This is often called lordship salvation. One is saved when they agree to serve God. We see this view actually confuses the issue of salvation with discipleship. Think about this, that the difference, salvation is a gift and it costs us absolutely nothing. However, discipleship is service and it costs us our lives. And think about that. I mean, salvation, I think we have salvation is by faith in Jesus. Discipleship is by following Jesus, and they're two different things. When we require people to serve God in order to be saved, that's works for salvation. It is no longer a gift. We must be careful, every one of us in this room, we must be very clear when we go out into this community and tell the message, we must be very clear that we are accurate and we're telling the grace of God. See, our goal as a believer is to be a disciple. But we are not to confuse salvation and discipleship when we present the salvation message. If we do, we will end up with works for salvation. This morning, Jesus deals with the issue of discipleship. He doesn't deal with the issue of salvation. When we see these three men coming to Jesus, the old issue is follow me, follow him. 
And so this morning we see Jesus deals with the issue of discipleship. And as these three men come, their intent is dealing with following Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk about the cost of discipleship. It's pretty powerful. And, and may we understand the challenge. May we understand what it means to be a disciple of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, let's begin. Jesus continues to teach and train his men and prepare them as he heads toward Jerusalem. They're, they're going to be the ones to carry on the ministry after he is gone. You know, we can make the same application that while we're on this earth, while we're here now, we're to be training people who are going to come behind us because one of these days we're going to be gone and they've got to carry on the ministry. That's how it works. Well, there are two key areas this morning we want to look at in the passage. One is the rejection by the Samaritans and the other is the cost of discipleship. So let me break down the passage for you. We're looking at verses 51 through 62. We're going to see, first of all, the Samaritans in 51 through 56, their rejection and the response, not only the response by two of the disciples, but by the response of Jesus. And then we're going to see the cost of discipleship. And this is really, it's really hard. It's really tough. We're going to see three men come to Jesus and we're going to see what the cost is. Now, as we, as we study, remember our goal. Our goal is this, it is to know the Word of God and then to make application in our lives so that we'll be changed, that we'll be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Savior, that we'll be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's the goal as we study the Scripture. Now, as we begin, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's going to go through some villages of the Samaritans, and we'll talk about it. Look at verse 51. When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Now, literally it says this, literally when the days were being fulfilled, it's bringing to conclusion his plan. Notice what it says, when the days were approaching for his ascension. See, the word ascension there is, of course, when Jesus goes back to the Father, and they're putting the whole thing together. He's basically saying when the days were approaching, when Jesus would go to Jerusalem, he'd be arrested, he'd be killed, he'd rise again, he'd walk on the earth for 40 days, and then he'd ascend to heaven. So he just kind of put it all together. He says, now, when the days were approaching, when everything was being fulfilled, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. I want you to think about this idea of Jesus going back to be with the Father. When you think about the Bible, there are, just be very careful in this, there are two times, two comings of Jesus Christ to the earth and one coming of Christ in the air. Let me make sure you understand that because it, it helps put the Bible together. Jesus Christ come, came to the earth the first time. He came, he was born in Bethlehem as a child, as a person he grew up. He came to die on the cross to pay for our sins. His first coming, he comes as the Savior of the world. He dies and pays for the sin of mankind. That's his first coming to the earth. There is a second coming of Jesus to the earth found in Revelation 19, verse 11. The heavens open, Jesus Christ comes back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he rules in righteousness and justice. So the first First time he comes to die, the second time he comes to the earth, he comes to reign. In between those two comings, there is a coming of Jesus Christ in the clouds, in the air. He does not come to the earth. First one to the earth to die, second one to the earth to reign, but a one in the clouds, and he comes to get the church, the believers. The Bible says that he comes in the clouds with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him. That's one of these days, and it could happen any second. Jesus will come in the clouds, and we'll all be taken off the face of the earth. We call that rapture. It's not a biblical word. It's a Latin word. It comes from the word rapio, which means a snatching away. The Bible talks about it, but it doesn't use the word rapture. So first coming, he comes to die. Second coming, he comes to reign. But he comes in the clouds to take us out. Now, right now, as we study this passage, we're looking at his first coming to die. He's on his way to Jerusalem to die. Now, notice what it says. But uh, when the days were approaching uh, for his ascension, my Bible says this. He was determined to go to Jerusalem. In, in the original Greek says, he set 
his face to go to Jerusalem. It has a Greek word idea of I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I've got my plan. Nothing's going to stop me from doing what I said I'm going to do. That's what it means. He was determined to do that. He is leaving. Now, I want you to think about it. He's leaving the northern part of Israel and he's going south. There are two ways you could go. Let me remind you of something. Just picture this being Israel. This is the northern part of Israel. It's called Galilee. This is the middle part of Israel. It's called Samaria. This is the southern part of Israel. It's called Judea. When people lived in the northern part of Israel, Galilee, if they wanted to go to the southern part, most of the time Jewish people would leave, not go straight south, because they didn't want to go through Samaria. They would go over the cross over the Jordan River and then go down and then go back. Because they didn't like the Samaritans. We'll talk about them in just a minute, who they are. And, when Jesus, and sometimes people would go straight down because it was much faster and you could do it, but you'd have to go through Samaria. We're going to find that Jesus leaves the northern part of Israel and he goes straight down and he's going through Samaria. Notice what it says. When his days were, ascension, uh, were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And notice what he does. And he sent messengers on ahead of him. And they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. So he's going and he sends some of his men up there to go into a city to make arrangements. Now, what, whether it meant they came in there and they said, we need a place to spend the night, or they just wanted to get some food, he sent people ahead of him into one of these cities of the Samaritans. Now, who are these Samaritans? Well, I want you to remember something. David was the king of Israel, the great king. David, the man who killed Goliath, David, a man after God's own heart, he had a son who followed him named Solomon. Solomon was the king of Israel. When Solomon died, the kingdom got divided. Solomon's son named Rehoboam became king, and it split, and he got what we called the southern kingdom. And another guy by the name of Jeroboam went to the north, wasn't a son of his, and got a northern kingdom. And so Israel became two different kingdoms. The northern part was called Israel, and the capital was at Samaria. The southern part was called Judah, and the capital was at Jerusalem. Now, the people in the north, they did not follow God. They even set up false worship, different worship than Jerusalem. God allowed the Assyrians to come in in 722 and destroy them, wipe them out, and beat them all up and get them, and, and kill many of them, and took a whole bunch of them off into captivity. They then brought in from all over the world Gentile people to come in to live where these Jews lived, and some Jews and Gentiles intermarried, and that became known as the Samaritans. They were and a normal Jewish person. A normal Jewish person say, I don't like Samaritans. Why? Well, number one, they have false worship. And number two, they're not true Jews. They're half Jew, half Gentile. So the normal Jew did not like the Samaritans, and the Samaritans did not like the Jews. So normally, if you were going to go, you probably wouldn't go through Samaria if you're Jewish because you said, I just, I don't want to deal with those people. Jesus is going. Notice as he goes down there, and he's gone through there before, and we'll talk about it a little bit later. It said he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. So he wants them to go do that. Now, watch what happens. They, verse 43, but they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. Basically what happened when they came in there and they said, will you prepare some stuff? Jesus is coming. They said, we're not doing anything. We don't want him to come through our town. We don't want him to come through here. Why? Because he was going to Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem had a different way to worship. They worshiped 
the true God in Jerusalem. And the Samaritans had a place at Mount Gerizim, which was false worship. And they knew Jesus worshipped. That's how they looked at it. They saw him worshiping the true God. They saw him as a Jew. And they said, we don't want him coming through here. Now, I want you to know something. I want you to think about something. They don't know what they're missing. They're missing the Savior of the world. And the truth is, sometimes people do that. They, they don't know what they're missing. You've ever heard people say, I'm not going to church. I don't like church. I'm not, I don't like church. I don't like pastors. I don't like this religion stuff. I don't like this. They don't know what they're missing. They're missing the greatest thing of all. See, Jesus Christ is God who died on the cross and paid for sins and offers salvation to everyone. He offers an eternal life relationship forever. It's not religion. And there are a lot of people because of maybe they were hurt one time or they grew up in some kind of church or they've never gone to church and they say, I just don't want all that. They're missing the greatest thing of all and that is Jesus Christ. It is not religion it is the grace of God and salvation. Well, these Samaritans, they're about to miss the Messiah because he's wanting to come through there, but they're, they're, this is, they're missing him. So look at the response. Verse 53, they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Now, that's real nice. But anyway, here's what they said was this. They, they said, Jesus, they don't want you to come through. And they said, well, who do they think they are anyway? Jesus is God and he's the Messiah and everything. And so they said to Jesus, do you want us, why don't we just command fire to come down and burn these people up? That's so much for loving one another, right? I mean, that just didn't really fit, did it? You know, they, they, really, they really had to grow and change, didn't they? Uh, they want to know if we could burn them up. Now, this is James and John. You know what their nickname was? They were called the sons of Boanges. Boanges means thunder. They were the sons of thunder. They had a, a personality and, te- you know, and tempers. Now, later on, John, same guy who says, let's call some fire down and burn all these people up. Same guy later on is called the apostle of love. He wrote the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation. In 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, over and over it talks about loving one another. Tradition tells us, not the scripture, but tradition tells us that when John, John was the last of the apostles to die, he died in between 95 and 100, and they say that when he was in Ephesus, that he, he got so old that they, he couldn't walk, and they would carry him to church. And tradition is, as they would bring this man to church, the great apostle, he would say to people, love one another, love one another. Right here he's saying, let's burn up these people, you know. Okay, and we all grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. But anyway, he, he turns to Jesus, he, James and John, and say, Do you, Would you like, let's call the fire down and, and burn these people up. You know, they're rejecting Jesus. How do we respond when somebody rejects Christ? Do we get mad? Do we get angry? Do we say, Well, you know what? You're just going to hell. You know? Is that how we do it? That, that's going to really get them. And that's going, boy, they go, Oh, you're right. Well, now I know I'm going to hell. Let me talk about it. When people reject us, they're really rejecting Jesus. And Jesus said they're going to be rejected. And there's going to be times people, you will tell them and with love and everything else, and they're going to reject. The response is to love people, to continue to love them and pray for them. Now, look what Jesus does. And, and, and I, I want to read to you verses. Some Bibles, or many Bibles, verse 55 and 56 say this. But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. 
There is another, uh, many manuscripts have another little section. Some Bibles put it out by the side. My New American Standard puts it in brackets just so you know that some manuscripts have this. It says this, And he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy lives but to save them. And they went on to another village. Now, when you study the Greek manuscripts, there are a lot of people who say, well, that ought to be in there. Some people say that ought not be in there. We don't know. It's pretty much divided. So most Bibles put it out by the side just to let you know that those verses are there, but a lot of, manu- a lot of the manuscripts didn't have it. Whether it has it or not, the truth is this. He turns to his men who say, let's burn them up, and he rebuked them by saying, you don't know what you're thinking. The Son of Man didn't come to kill people. He came to save people. So whether this is actually there or not, we know that in John 3:17, Jesus said, For the Son of Man did not come into the world to judge the world, but the world through him might be saved. So the truth and the principle is there. Jesus didn't come to burn people up. He didn't come to destroy people. He came to save them. There are a lot of people who have a misconception of what God's really like. There are people who think that God is up there waiting for them just to mess up. And He wants to get them. He's hoping that people mess up. God's not that way at all. He loves us with an everlasting, unconditional love. And He so loved us, He sent His Son. He has provided the way of salvation. He wants people to believe in Christ for eternal life. It's, it's that simple. And so here's what happens. They, they, uh, he rebukes them and all this. And then it says at the very end of verse 56, And they went on to another village. And the way it's written in the Greek, there are two different words for another. There's another of the same kind. There's a Greek word that says another of the same kind. Then there's a Greek word that says another of a different kind. This is the word used here. It says they went to another of a different kind of village. And the best that we can see by him writing it that way is maybe they went to a village that did receive him. One that wasn't angry. One that let Jesus come. Because they, he dealt with the Samaritans. You remember this, that a lot of the Samaritans liked Jesus. If you can remember back in John chapter 4, Jesus went through Samaria and he stopped at a well uh, at Sychar, at Jacob's well at Sychar. He sent his men into the city, to a town there, and this woman came out. You remember? The woman at the well. And he told her about the living water and she believed in him as the Messiah. And then she was a smart woman. She was going to go back into town. She had a terrible reputation. She went back into town and she told the men. And she said, there is a man out by the well. He told me everything that I've ever done. And then she said it this way. He can't be the Messiah, can he? She knew that if she'd gone back into town and said, there's a man out there told me everything. He's the Messiah. All those men would have said, you don't know anything. We don't care. She went in and said, he's not the Messiah, is he? And they said, you don't know what you're talking about. We're going out there to see. And all of them came out there, and a whole bunch of them believed in Jesus, and they actually asked him to stay in that town for three days. So there are Samaritans who believed in Jesus. There are Jewish people who believed in Jesus. There are Samaritans who didn't like him, and there are Jewish people who didn't like him. And so as we go through, as he's on the way through there, he had, one city, of course, didn't like him, and he goes to another one. Now, as we continue, and we're going to finish this section, we're going to see the whole issue of discipleship. And, and I want, we're going to talk about it here in just a second, but remember, our goal as a believer is to be a disciple, that our lives would count for Christ. Remember the distinction between being a believer and being a disciple, between salvation and discipleship. Salvation costs us absolutely nothing. You don't do something to go to heaven. You don't do something to get eternal life. You believe Jesus Christ. You trust in Him. He died and rose again. He gives you eternal life. Now, discipleship costs you. It costs you your life. Salvation comes by faith in Jesus. Discipleship comes by following Jesus. 
And as we look at this passage, we're going to see several things about discipleship. We're going to talk about this world and being connected with this world. We're going to talk about doing ministry for Christ now. And we're going to talk about faithfulness. We're going to find that there are costs to being a disciple. It doesn't cost you anything to be a Christian. doesn't. It's a gift. Every one of you in this room, I hope every one of you in this room have already trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You say, I've trusted in Him and Him alone. He gives me eternal life. It wasn't what I did. It's not what I'm going to do. I have salvation. But then the issue is discipleship. And we're going to talk about that. Look at verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That's discipleship. Remember, salvation is believing in Jesus. Discipleship is following Jesus. And this guy says, I will follow you wherever you go. You would think Jesus would go, thank you. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Well, the truth is that is exactly what he's looking for. For believers, he's looking for us to say, Lord, I will go wherever you want me to go. I will just follow you. I want my life to care for you. I will do whatever you want me to do. Now, who is this person? The Gospel of Matthew tells us it's a scribe. Now, scribes were those religious leaders. And your, your impression, when we think of scribes, Sadducees, Pharisees, we don't like them because they were opposed to Jesus. But not every religious leader was opposed to Jesus. Some of them believed in him. Here's one who not only believes in him, but wants to be a disciple of Jesus and to follow him. And this man says to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Now remember, two big decisions. One decision, to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. The other decision as a believer is whether you will follow him or not. Now, what does Jesus say to this man? Look at the cost. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, what he's saying is, to be a disciple, you cannot be tied to this world. You cannot say, I want the things of this world. He's saying, as as birds and, and, and foxes, they all have places. But when you're a disciple, when you're going through this world, you're not tied to this world. The things of this world, you're saying, I don't care about the things of this world. We don't live for this world. We live for the eternal things of God. And in reality, when you say to God, I give you my life, I want to live for you, it's not, but I want this house, I want this car, I want this, I want... it's Lord, I want whatever you want. I'll go anywhere you want me to go, I'll do whatever you want to do. He may have you to have material things. We're not saying you don't have material things. We're saying you're not tied to the material. We're saying you're living for the eternal things and living for Jesus Christ. It is so easy to be tied to this world and, and to want the things of this world. But a disciple isn't tied to this world. In fact, a disciple is not a citizen of this world. We're just passing through. Philippians says our citizenship is in heaven where we wait for the Lord Jesus to come get us. So we're not citizens of this world. We're just passing through. We don't want to be entangled. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, Do not be entangled with the affairs of this world. So what's the cost of discipleship, this first one? is not to be tied to the things of this world, but look to the eternal. And so you're going to be a disciple for Jesus Christ. You say, God, I want my life to count for you. And the things of this world are not my issues. I want to live for the eternal. I want to live for you. I want my life to count for you. It doesn't mean that we don't have things. In fact, we use the things of this world. We don't love the things of this world. We don't get tied in to the things of this world. We see things from eternal. That's the first cost. There's more here. Verse 59. And he said to another, follow me. Now he sees another guy, maybe with this guy, and he says, follow me. And he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. Wow, we look at that. Jesus says, follow me. And the guy says, I need to go bury my dad. Well... We say, sure, 
Sure, but look what Jesus says to him. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Now, if we don't understand what's going on, that seems like a pretty harsh statement to me. But you have to understand what's going on. That guy's daddy's not dead. In that culture, if his father had died, and they hadn't buried him yet, I want you to understand, in that culture, when a person died, they buried them the same day they died. If you were a part of that family, you had touched that body, you were unclean, you did not go out in public. This man's father is not dead. He's not saying, my father just died, can I go back and bury him and then I'll follow you? No. What he's saying is, I got my father, I got my family. When, when, when my dad's passed away, I'll, I'll follow you then. The idea there is, in the future someday, I'll be willing to follow you. I want you to understand that, that that's not the way it works. See, that's what a lot of people do. They say, you know, when I'm, when I get out of college, I'll start living for Christ. No, no, no. When I see, I got these little kids. We just got married and, and our house and everything. Oh, but I got little ones. When they get maybe, when they get grown up or something, when they grow up, I'll, you know, I'll start living for Jesus or something. And when I got to get my business in, you know, I got this. Listen, some people are always saying, one of these days, I'm going to serve Jesus. Jesus says, no, it's not one of these days. You're going to be a disciple? You decide now that you're going to live for me. And it's not one of these days I will decide to live for you. That's why when he says, let me go bury my father, his father's not dead. He's saying, let me go home, do my thing. When my parents are die, have, have died, then I'll come and I will follow you. He's saying, let me stay here until that time comes. As a disciple, we decide now. As a disciple, we decide that we're going to serve God now, not sometime in the future. Not, okay, one of these days when I get through college, one of these days when I get my job, one of these days when we get my car paid for, one of these days when I, and that's the way people are, one of these days when I retire, oh, I'll just have so much more time once I'm retired. Now is the time. Now, what does he mean here when he says, let, the, uh, let me permit, let, uh, permit me, Lord, to go first and bury my father. And he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, you go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Well, I, most people think that when he studied, the, uh, you know, best scholars look at it and say, when he says, let the dead bury the dead, he's talking about let the spiritual dead deal with that kind of thing. You've got something else to do. Your job is to proclaim the kingdom of God everywhere. That's what he's talking about. As a disciple, you decide now that you're going to live for him. Because there are a lot of people who've trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, and they're not a lot, they're not a lot of disciples. And a lot of people are always saying, well, you know, one of these days, you know, when we get sort of settled, I'm going to really start, you know, I'm going to start serving God. I'm going to get kind of, I'm going to start really making an impact. The cost of discipleship is now. We choose to live for Christ now, not sometime in the future. So, cost of discipleship, not tied to this world, serving God now, and there's one more. Watch, as we go a little further, verse 61. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Now, that looks like just a normal request. I'd like to follow you, but can I go back home and tell everybody goodbye, and then I'll leave. That's not exactly what he means, because look what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit 
for the kingdom of God. The guy's really saying this. Well, you know, I've got a family and, and I'm, and I've been willing to go with you, but there's a lot of things I need to do back over here. And so I'm probably going to be, I'm going to probably be in both places. And Jesus says, no, no, once you start living for me, you don't go back to your old lifestyle. He says, no man putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. The guy's plowing, he keeps looking back, he keeps going, oh, I'm messing up, I messed the row up. you got to keep the focus. He's saying, once you choose to live for Jesus Christ, you live for Christ and you don't go back to that old lifestyle. You don't live the way you used to live. You don't do the things you used to live. You cannot live this divided life. In fact, that's, you cannot live a divided life wanting to serve God and wanting our old life. I trusted Christ when I was 19. I became a disciple when I was 25, 26. I have never been the same since that point. And it's that idea when you say, I'm going to live for Christ. What does it say? Don't be tied to this world. Do it now. And don't be going back and forth that old lifestyle, that old way. Because you're not who you used to be. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. Your life is to count for Him. You remember when Lot came out of the city, Sodom and Gomorrah, they were going to burn it up. And what did the angel tell them? He said, you get you and your family and you get out of this place and don't look back. Why, why would they look back? Because they didn't want to leave. They wanted that old lifestyle. And as they came out, Lot's wife did what? She looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt. You don't want that to happen to you, do you? But anyway, the bottom line is you don't want to look back once you start this thing. You want to say, God, from this point on, I'm going on to maturity. I'm going to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. I'm going to be a man. I'm going to be a woman to live for Jesus Christ. And that's what he's telling him. Once you decide to live for Christ, go on to maturity. Don't go back to that old life. Don't keep going back and forth. You can't live that divided life. We are new people in Christ. We're to faithfully serve. Remember Hebrews 12? And run the race with endurance. What? Looking unto. To Jesus, you keep your focus on Christ. A disciple is one who faithfully serves, not looking back. So what have we seen on discipleship? Three things. Not tied to this world, serving God now, not the future, and faithful service, not looking back. So where are you? I hope and pray that every one of you have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. It's a gift. It costs you nothing. If you've never trusted Christ, right where you're sitting right now, you can believe that Jesus Christ died for you, that He paid for your sins and rose again, and you can trust Him and Him alone for eternal life. It's that simple. You say, Lord, I believe Jesus will give me eternal life. And you're saved. But are you a disciple? It costs you. It's going to cost you your life. You can't be tied to this world. You've got to say, I'm just passing through. The things of this world, they're fine. I can use them, but they're not what I want. You've got to say, God, I want to live for you now, not just sometime in the future, but now. And once you start this thing, you can't be going back to that old lifestyle. You've got to say, Lord, I'm going on to maturity. What have we seen? Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die and rise again for us. We see the rejection by the Samaritans. The disciples say, let's just burn them up. Jesus said, I don't think that's the answer right now. That's not what we want to do. He talks about discipleship with three men. And he says, don't be tied to the world. Serve him now and be a faithful servant. Let me give you some applications and we'll close. The first one is understand Christ's plan. He's going to Jerusalem to die and rise again. This is his first coming to be the Savior. And there are two things I want you to think about. A is trust Christ as Savior. I hope and pray every one of you have trusted Christ 
it's the greatest decision you'll ever make because it takes you from death to life and from darkness to light and from being separated from God forever to being with God forever. There's a second thing. Make clear the message to others. It is by grace you're saved through faith. When we go out these doors, there are people in this community that you're going to come in contact with every day that think you get saved because you turn away from sin, you give your life to Jesus, you agree to serve Him, you get baptized, you try to live a good life, you keep do more good than bad. There are people out there who actually think that. You have the truth. In love, share the good news message with them so they can understand and they can have eternal life. Number two, expect rejection. Just like when Jesus went through Samaria, they didn't like Him. He's going to get to Jerusalem, they're not going to like Him there either. And he said, if they rejected me, they'll reject you. If they hated me, they'll hate you. When you stand for Jesus Christ, expect rejection. Finally, let's be disciples of Jesus Christ. Just remember this. A, understand the difference between salvation and discipleship. Salvation is a gift, costs us nothing. Discipleship costs us our lives. B, understand the cost of being a disciple. We're not tied to this world. We serve him now, and we faithfully serve going on, not looking back. Are you a disciple? Understand the cost. It's a big cost. That's why the truth is there are a lot of believers, but not a lot of disciples. When you stand before Jesus, you want to hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You want to be a disciple. May we be disciples of Jesus Christ as we faithfully proclaim the good news message of salvation, knowing that as disciples of Christ there are going to be some, there are going to be some rejection, but we want to make an impact for Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these great truths. Lord, we, we want to understand the plan that Jesus died and rose again, and whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. As we scatter in this community, we want to share it clearly. We know sometimes there's going to be rejection. We should expect that. But Lord, we want our lives to count for You. And I pray, Lord, that each one in this room will understand the difference between salvation and discipleship. We'll see that. But Lord, I pray that there will be many in this room who not only are believers, but will become disciples that they'll have that, realize that cost, not being tied to this world, serving Him now and faithfully going on, not looking back. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being a believer. Thank you for the privilege of being a disciple. May our lives count for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.